Tonight is the NBA draft lottery, and I am so jealous of one fan base for what you're about to experience, not only tonight, but tomorrow and years to come. Uh, so we'll go over it. Breaking news out of Philadelphia. Doc Rivers out as head coach. We'll cover that. And Larry Nance Jr. We're going to talk playoffs with him. Uh, Lakers stuff, being teammates with Kobe or LeBron. But the best stuff is him on Zion Williamson and the end of the season for the Pelicans. Enjoy. It's the Ryan Rosillo podcast presented by FanDuel. The road to the NBA final starts now, and FanDuel is the best place to get in on the action. Right now, you can check out the new and improved Quick Bets, which are back and better than ever for the NBA playoffs and FanDuel. Find what you're looking for faster and easier with more props right at your fingertips. You can check out live bets like three-minute markets and exclusive live bets like quarter player props, player assist combos, and more. So download the app today and bet with FanDuel, official partner of the NBA. The Ringer is committed to responsible gaming, so please visit rg-help.com to learn more about the resources and helplines available and listen to the end of the episode for additional details. Must be 21 and older. 18 plus in DC and present in select states. Gambling problem? Call 1 800 Gambler or visit rg help.com. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. I want to start today's podcast talking about the lottery because I'm actually excited uh, and I have no real emotional attachment to it. I have anxiety on behalf of other fan bases and I'm jealous because tonight everything changes. Tonight your life changes if you're one of the fan bases that wins the lottery and gets Victor Wenbanyama. I'm serious. Now, granted, yes, the, the family part, wife, kids, that stuff's important, I guess, but the other stuff, the secondary stuff, the reason you buy the jerseys, the reason why you buy league pass, the reasons why you get a couple tickets to a few games, it's going to be completely different for you and maybe for like 10 years if you land this dude. There's six teams with a 9% chance or better from the top down, Detroit, Houston, San Antonio, all 14%, then Charlotte and Portland, Orlando's got a 9% chance. There's obviously other scenarios too where other markets with much less of a chance could potentially get him. Just a conspiracy theory reminder. The conspiracy theories only work in the years where the top target goes into a big market, conveniently forgetting all the other years where the top star went to a market that actually didn't make any sense with the NBA, which happens more often. But we never use those in the argument. So just pre-conspiracy-ing yourself, if that's even a phrase. Probably not. But I'm jealous of the guy. I'm jealous of the guy listening, or girl, listening right now to the podcast who was a fan of one of these teams who in hours will get Victor Wimbanyama and now it is all different. I'm jealous of that. I think it's awesome. Let's review. Wimbanyama is somebody who turned 19 in January. He's 7'5", apparently without shoes. He's the only prospect I can ever think of where the rumors are swirling around, where people are trying to hopefully like get the message out he actually might be shorter. I've never heard that before. Um, Manute Bull was 7'6 seven, or 7'7, seven, seven, but when Wenminyama, I don't know if he's done growing, I would imagine he's going to be pretty close to it, right? Uh, and then you also have the historic shoe, non-shoe measurement where at the combine in the past, all those years when those heights would come out, it'd be with shoes. 
and it'd be like the first thing we would all look at. What I can't to see, I can't wait to see this week. Then there's the numbers. Uh, recently, I mean, he's been playing recently, 22, 10, two and a half assists, three blocks a game, 47% from the floor, 28% on threes. Is that alarming? Maybe. I'm telling you right now, his form looks beautiful. The shot form out of his hands, his arms, the elbows, all of it, legs connected to the arms. I think the percentage is lower than you would want it to be because he's not really been great historically from three at least on the numbers i think his shot selection stinks i think it's because sometimes he just gets bored and he wants to show that he can go between his legs but it's actually like a real thing as opposed to some of these tall guys over the years they're absurdly tall and wanted to show you all the premier skills and you're like if you even make it to the league you're never ever going to be allowed to do any of those things this is why this guy's different and the reason why i'd say i wouldn't even worry about the 28 percent on three because shot selection it's because he's making his free throws this year uh the best he ever has six attempts a game 84 percent uh, the video, whenever you watch any of it, there's there's moments, consistently moment after moment after moment. I were like, are you serious? He just did that. He went between his legs and drove hard into the corner and pulled up straight at seven foot five and hit a corner three. He got out in transition and led the break. He caught the ball in full sprint on the break, two steps down and flushes over everybody else because they give up. Deep catch, deep seal, turn around on everybody. And defenders look helpless like it's all real okay um the other part that's so exciting about tonight is that it's just new like i can tell you what he looks like i can tell you he's going to be really good we can share all the numbers we can look at all the clips but there's nothing i don't know if valuable is the right word in sports value is definitely related there's a correlation between how new is a player right like a draft pick is is almost like a car where the draft pick is, oh, we could trade a lottery pick for this guy. And then the guy, that once you use the pick on somebody and then he plays a little bit, the guy's like not nearly as worth as much as he would have been, unless obviously if his career goes the other way. You get the point, right? But there's a there's a value, there's an excitement with newness, right? You get that new car, you're like, I'm going to wash this thing all the time. Probably don't, right? You get a new apartment. I'm going to get some mood lighting. I'm going to do something on the back porch. I'm going to get some chairs. Relationship, this time I'm going to be super agreeable, right? Whenever anything is new, it's exciting because it's in the beginning. It's really the best part of all this. It's why when you bring it back to basketball, you know, Memphis fans listening to this right now, you're like, you know, maybe we should have kept Kyle Anderson, but you have all of this Jake LaRavia stock because it's still very new. He didn't play enough, and he was a first-round pick. It's like everybody kind of liked that guy. I'm like, man, what if Jake LaRavia figures it out? All of us have done it with all of our teams and all of the sports about the new guy, the minor leaguer getting called up, the draft pick in football, the quarterback that's like, oh, man, I like this late-round guy, kind of kind of sneaky, hearing good things about his reps at practice, all right? Wembanyama's new in a way that's hard to be new because it's still international, but you can find it. You've been hearing about him for three years, but it doesn't mean anything because before tonight, he wasn't yours. And after tonight, he is going to be yours to one lucky fan base. I remember the Dice Game at Suzaka stuff. All right. You want to talk obsessed? And it's weird because it wasn't that long ago. It's like 15, 16 years ago. We had the internet. We knew who Dice Game was, but there was still this mythical part of him in his story that made it even more exciting. And I don't know that Wembenyama can naturally like match that because it's we're just better at this stuff, a little bit better. But I think to some degree, there are some similarities. Daisuke felt like he was coming from another planet. They're like, what's this guy do again? They're like, oh, he 
Dude, he tops out at like 90, 98, 99. He fucking hovers at 97, though. He works at like 90, 96, 97. Gyro ball. Research it. Defies fucking physics, kid. And you'd be like, what's a gyro ball? No one else is allowed to figure out. No, no one else has ever been able to figure out the arm angle that Dice figured out for this gyro ball that that goes in the opposite direction of what you're supposed to. It's actually just a screwball. But anyway, so you, you get them and you can't wait to see something. That's the hope, right? Is that you're going to see something not just that's awesome and helps your team win and makes your life happier. It's that you've never, ever seen this before. I mean, very few people have ever delivered like Shohei Otani ever in the history of sports. And he has. And you know, now that it isn't new anymore, it's like, oh, yeah, that guy struck out eight, seven scoreless and had two home runs again. Oh, okay. That's weird how that kind of wears off. But I don't know who's in charge if we should talk about Shohei Itani more. But back to Wembanyama and all this other stuff like Dicegate. Granted, once once you got him as a Red Sox fan, you're like, oh, he just kind of nibbles a lot. Yeah, this isn't this isn't as exciting. <laughs> and then he had one season after his first two where he pitched 100 innings in his final six. Didn't work out. But I'm not here to bum people out. That's not exactly what I'm doing, uh, any of this. Uh, because tonight, you're texting your buddies. You're texting your buddies about the equivalent of the basketball gyro ball. You're, you're texting your buddies about when Banyama saying, I heard this story. I found this on YouTube. Hey, have you heard this? He might, he's like KD on offense, but he's KG on defense. You're going to call your dad. You're going to start getting jerseys. You're going to start thinking about maybe getting that 10-game uh, ticket package. And all of it's okay because this is what you're supposed to do. This is why you lift all those weights, right? This is the whole point of why you keep checking in on your team every single time and thinking, okay, you might be one of the teams like Orlando or Detroit. Like, I like some of our young guys. You're in Houston going, I like a lot of your young dudes. All right, San Antonio, you've got some cap space. But now, once that card is announced that you have the number one pick, all of it is different in the best way possible. Even if it's uncertain, it doesn't matter. Enjoy the newness. Enjoy that tomorrow as an NBA fan, your life is going to be different for like the next 10 years. I did mean to ask this, though, because I don't know that it's happened quite yet. Could be tomorrow morning on the TV shows. Has anyone zagged yet? Has anyone gone, yeah, I'm more of a Scoot Henderson guy? <laughs> that is prime. That is like prime oceanfront television real estate right now. If you're in the game, so this is a message to my colleagues, you can own that that oceanfront right now if you wake up tomorrow going, you know what? I'm going to be the guy that says he's going to suck. I'm doing it. Um, because, yeah, sure, there's a downside to this, right? Like, I'm telling you, your next 10 years are going to be terrific, but there could be the bad summer league game. And everybody's like, oh, I thought this guy was supposed to be awesome. You know, what if he gets like 13 a game his rookie year? Oh, he's getting pushed around a lot. Needs to add some weight. Oh, no shit. He's 7'5 and 19. Your analysis that he needs to get stronger and add weight. Thank you, Tom Platts. Um, probably going to get hurt. That's a whole nother thing. And who knows if he's really, really good. <laughs> but he hasn't won in four years. Hasn't gotten out of the second round. People are like, I thought this guy was supposed to change the franchise. Remember that Rosillo lottery rant from four years ago? This guy's one shit, which is usually not on the great player. It's about the people around him. Or the worst version of this, he goes to a small market. He's really, really good. They don't win enough. He signs the rookie extension. And then year five or six, 
starts going, you know what? I'm not that into it here anymore. And who knows? Years from now, the way things have moved, scheduling on extensions being signed, it's like, I don't have to wait till a year or two left anymore. I'll do what some of those other guys do. Sign the extension and then ask out. All right, but none of this matters. Don't worry about it right now. Even though that seems to happen to a lot of guys. That's not the point. The point is that this is why you have hope. This is why any of us have ever had hope as fans. He's not the best prospect uh, ever. He's not a better prospect than LeBron. You didn't have to worry about LeBron's body, but he is the best prospect since. The combination of skills, the things that he can do on a basketball court at his size, we've never, ever seen before. It's not a guarantee that it's going to work. I still worry about the injury part of it, certainly. But who gives a shit? It's the lottery. All right? Tonight, tonight is all that matters. Tonight, getting that number one pick and getting to have all of these conversations with your friends, with your relatives, with fans that you didn't even know you liked that much because you're all aligned with the amount of hope that you're going to have that your franchise will never be the same because you landed the number one pick. And for that emotion, all of those things tonight that you're going to feel and wake up with tomorrow, I am jealous in the best way possible. Okay, breaking news uh, right here during the show. Doc Rivers out as head coach of the Philadelphia 76ers. Uh, he was asked about whether or not he would come back. He gave a, eh, yeah, of course I'm coming back. I have two years left in my contract. That was the right answer. That's the way he's supposed to handle it. You're not supposed to say, I don't know. Um, if we go back timeline-wise, I don't know that anybody ever thought that Doc Rivers was a Daryl Morey guy. Um, so none of this, no, and coaches getting fired, none of this is surprising at all. I mean, we realize like all the guys that have been in the finals recently have all been fired. Right. Except for, well, actually, yeah, even the Celtics, that was a little different. Um, that's what this job is. I mean, you look back at the long tenure in the NBA for for head coaches, like pull that page up on Wikipedia where it'll go like date hired to date, you know, like it, you'll look at it being like, oh, my God, 17 of the guys were hired in the last 16 months. Like this doesn't even make any sense. So um, I'm not I'm not shocked by any of this because I think it's the job and specific to Philadelphia. I think there were a lot of reasons. I like Doc. I am biased. I'll admit. Um, I think people dismiss how good he can be with the veteran guys with big time resumes and understanding how they need to be kind of managed as people for the challenges of a long NBA regular season. Uh, I believe that. But I can no longer argue against his resume with the blown leads. The Atlanta one was the all-timer. Um, and I think there was some stuff with the Clippers where it just felt like he was stubborn in some of the rotations that weren't really making a lot of matchup sense there. Uh, but I defer to the blame on on players with this way more than I do with any of the coaches. Rarely will you hear me say, hey, I think this coach is getting in the way of this team because I think ultimately it's on the players, just like it was against Atlanta. Like Ben Simmons having a meltdown is not Doc Rivers' fault. Uh, that's who Ben Simmons is, as we saw again with a dude that can't even play in games. I promise this is not turning into a Ben Simmons rant. We'll get back to coaches here quickly. But a guy who's not even playing in games consistently the last few years, deciding to post a picture of the Sixers losing to the Celtics from his house and his nice TV. Not surprised he has a nice TV, so that's not really what I'm talking about there. But like the the math that you would have to do in your head would be like, hey, this is a good idea. I don't even fucking play. 
but let me make fun of the Sixers. That made me almost want the Sixers to win that game, almost. Uh, but again, that's a different topic that I'm sure we'll get to do again at some point when he's not playing in his fancy outfits, talking about how good he's going to be when he comes back. All right, so back to the Doc part of it. Like, is it his fault that Harden's scared to death in Game 7? Is it his fault that, you know, Embiid became predictable and didn't fight back in the third quarter? You know, that's why I just have a hard time blaming the coaches, even if I understand why they all lose their jobs. Uh, and not thinking that Daryl and Doc were going to be actually the best pairing because I just don't know that they would see it the same way. So what does that mean? Man, welcome to the tour bus party. This is like a bunch of five-star high school kids going to every major college campus to try to figure out where they want to play football. Um, Monty Williams, Coach Bud, you know, stop me if you've heard these names before. The Bud one would probably be a tough sell in Philly <laughs> after how bad the Milwaukee thing went. And yes, to be fair, he was dealing with something that's absolutely tragic and losing his brother in that same week. But there's a lot of respect for Bud. There's a lot of respect for Monty, too. I'm a, I'm a little surprised how much the NBA world seems to be in love with Monty, the coach. Uh, he was 34 and 39 before Chris Paul got there to Phoenix. Chris Paul's the reason this Phoenix Suns turned around. I know everybody can make fun of me for my Chris Paul love with that, but that's that's a fact. That That is not, that cannot be argued. They were kind of like, are we any good? And then Chris Paul shows up and they make it to the NBA Finals. So I think that had more to do with it than anybody that was coaching it. So I imagine Daryl's going to have to get somebody that's far more aligned with his vision and anyone that's as numbers-based as Daryl, like they look very, very hard at like, hey, points per possession, this shot, shot quality here. Like, what, like, what are we doing that's specific to this matchup? Where if you're a feel guy, you know, there's just going to be a lot of times where I feel like the front office and coaching staff are seeing the game differently. So I'd imagine more alignment um, with whoever they would go coaching wise. But what I would disagree with is, you know, maybe Embiid can be salvaged as far as late game stuff and going, you know, once the playoffs crank up and people are more tuned in on you on the catch and all of these things you need to do, I think that could be fixed. I don't, I don't think some new, like, I just don't think some new coach all of a sudden unlocks some version of Harden. <laughs> so you guys, I'm not even going to go down that road right now. You guys have fun with that one and all the debates, especially if you're a Philly fan, like as if it's like, no, no, this is the first time it's Doc's fault that Harden looked like this. Um, enjoy, because I've got nothing else to say about it. I've already said it a million times. Let's talk some hoops with Larry Nance Jr. This episode is supported by State Farm. So look, a little rock hit your dude's windshield on the highway. And at first you're like, what is that? I'm like, oh, it's just a little mark. Nope. Now by the end of the ride, it's a big crack. And it had been a while. So I check out the State Farm app. I go, hey, this is what happened. And the funny thing is, is I was like, do I want to go app first or do I call old school guy? Probably should call. I was like, let's check out the app. Not only did it take a minute to get done, they set up the glass replacement. They told me the estimate ahead of time, said, you want to go ahead with it? And I was like, now I understand it's all in front of me, all done. I don't even have to talk to anybody. That's how efficient the insurance game has become. But really, the only words you need to remember are, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm has options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app. 
just like I did. And even reach a real person when you need to talk to somebody. The app was so good, I didn't even need to do that. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Learn more at statefarm.com. This episode of the Ryan Rosilla podcast is brought to you by McDonald's. McDonald's french fries changed my life. They taught me to want. They taught me the taste of anticipation. There's no wrong way to eat a french fry from McDonald's. Unless you're eating my french fries. Get your favorite McDonald's fries today. Larry Nance Jr. joins us, talks the playoffs, talk his career, uh, also some stuff he's doing off the court as well. Thanks for doing this, man. How are you? Of course, man. I appreciate you guys having me on. And and uh, I'm good. I'm good. Of course, I'd rather be playing, but can't complain too much. Do you watch all of it, some of it, none of it? Um, I, I don't watch all of it. I try to, as, once our season ends, I try to disconnect a little bit, but... Yeah, the, around uh, midway through midway through conference semis, I'm I'm tuned in. Okay, so this Lakers run, um, you know, there's there's a bunch of parts that that go into this, and I know you played them in March, right? I didn't know, like, granted, there was a bunch of new pieces that were part of it. I think the biggest thing is kind of Anthony Davis being being healthy. But was there any moment when you played him in that game in March where you look at this and go, yeah, this makes sense? Well, yeah. I mean, honestly, it was it was when we played him at our building. It was Malik Beasley was the one that was the one that stood out to me. Is just and you know, uh, of course, he hasn't even been getting that, that many minutes in the playoffs. But he was the one um, that stood out to me. Him and Vanderbilt. That's like, all right, they they needed someone to lock down defensively, and that obviously surrounding Brown with shooters has been a proven track record for success his whole career. So um, I like the moves they made and. And, uh, yeah, but I, I agree with you. I think the biggest reason has just been AD on the court. When he's healthy, that dude is just one of the best we have. When you, now granted, you know, you've had that season with LeBron that I want to get back to, but like, does anything LeBron, like anything that he does, can he even possibly surprise you anymore? Uh, no, no. Um, and that's, I think that, it's, that might sound like a slouch, like a like a, a slouch to him, but I think it's more of a more. It's just so impressive. This dude's thirty eight and and just doing it every single night at the highest level. And it's like, man, I you don't you, for me at least, you know, you don't you have nothing more to prove. You know, he could stop today and still be. You know, he's 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 the greatest in my mind, and and. Just getting, you know, being able to watch him do what he does night in and night out. It's like, man, I, he needs to be studied. <laughs> do you ever argue with your father about Jordan and LeBron? <laughs> we have had that. We have had that debate. Um, and of course, How's it I'm, go? I, I'm, you take well, us in I mean, that. I want to know how that goes. Exactly how you think it would go. I'm new school. He's old school. You know, I, I'm, uh, you know, being born in Akron, Ohio myself. So I'm, I'm, I'm just a bit biased in the whole debate but you know my dad thinks my dad thinks mike is is uh you know the greatest he's seen and i think bron's the greatest i've seen so it's it's um they definitely get lively around the house that's for sure yeah i uh i was going through one of my favorite things to do which is i don't know if it's a thing i should tell anybody or not uh about (laughs) the stupid basketball reference (laughs) nicknames that are that are on there uh, you oh, don't have any. Yeah. Your father 
Like I always knew Little Hawk, the Hayatola of Slamola, I was not aware of, or I had forgotten about that one and Mr. Slambassador. I, I imagine that's probably never come up around the house. Did you say Mr. Slambassador? That's awesome, but I'd never heard that's, it. I've never heard that either. That's well, well, thank you for the new ammo um, at our, at the next family function. I'm using that. Um, but no, honestly, and little Hawk, I hadn't, I hadn't really heard that one either. Me and my, me and my brother and sister used to make fun of them for a high Ayatollah of slam Ola or whatever, but, um, basketball reference has got some good ones, man. Dude, I love it. It's my favorite. It's my favorite thing when I see one that I've, no one's ever used about anybody ever. And that's, again, there's no one ever taking the belt from Dion waiters who has Kobe Wade. That's just the nickname is Kobe Wade, which Kobe, Kobe Wade. Yeah. Good for him. That's that's hard to beat. I don't that's think it'll be. I don't think it'll ever be beat. Uh okay, take me take me through the 18 season cuz you know, you beat Boston, which was a really young team, you know, the same two guys are there and it was like, "Wait, are these young dudes actually going to get LeBron?" and then you're like, "No." And it came down to look the last few possessions. You get swept by the Warriors, but what's the difference between kind of regular season? Because I felt like at that point, LeBron was kind of pacing himself. He didn't care about seeding as much. Um, it's not the same as this year, but what's the difference between regular season LeBron and postseason LeBron? So again, yeah, I only got to see it for I only got to see it for like three, four months, but just just the preparation was so drastically different in terms of regular season. Um, as opposed to playoffs, like regular season, to be honest, we were just kind of rolling the ball out there. We're just, we're better than teams because we had Braun and Kev and, you know, we're just more talented. Um, but when it got to the playoffs, now it's like, now, you know, T Lou is when, you know, T Lou turns this guy. Now you've got Ty's attention and he's drawn up adjustments and plays that like, at that point in my career, we're just making my head spin. Um, making my head spin and Braun is, you know, telling us like, Hey, you know, Tara's ears going to be run up the court calling this play. This play is nothing but our horns action and kind of dissecting their offense, um, translating it in our terms for say. And that, you know, to that, to this point in my career, I had, I had only seen like a 21 win season and like an 18 win season. So I, it, I would, I, I was not, uh, this was all super new to me and very forward. And so I'm trying to learn as much as I can and absorb as much as I can on the fly. And it's, uh, that right there was my first real look into like, okay, this is, this is what the NBA is at the highest level. And it's, it's, um, man, it's, it's to be a fly on the wall in, in one of those buildings. I wish, I wish we could give access to the everyday person to, to see some of that stuff. And so you see how, how really intelligent some of these people are. And that's, I mean, Braun and T Lou, um, that's what they're just brilliant. at. Yeah. That series against golden state, you know, it's, it's this two year stretch with that team where you go like, who's beating these guys. And I doubt LeBron has ever had any moment in his life where he took the court thinking there was like no chance he could win. Did you sense anything different? Like, what were those locker rooms like going up against that team going, like, we're pretty good and we've got this guy, but I don't, like, I don't think we're close. Like, what was that like? Um, it was never really like that. Um, honestly, we, that series was, 
I don't want to say it was it was it wasn't decided, but that game, the game one, that whole, whole controversy surrounding game one, uh, where Braun had what he had fifty one or he had fifty one nine and nine or whatever it was on their home court, and uh, you know went into overtime after the free throws, but like that, the controversy surrounding that and then losing that game really, um, that was really demoralizing for everyone in our locker room because if we I feel, I, you know, we felt we should have won that game. And, and if we would have won that game now, all right, now we've got a series. Now we've got a series on our hands. Now, like they, now game two becomes a must win for them. And it's, you know, then you, the pressure shifts a little bit and, and the tone changes for them. So, um, it, we never went into the games like, oh, woe is me. We're just going to come out here and get lumped up by these superstars again. No, it was never that. It just, that's how the games ended up playing out, but it was never, guys were too good and we were too we knew we had the best player in the world on our team um so you, when you when you've got that you you never feel like you're out when i look at that run um and i you're right like when i was watching you in the east you know that year i was like i don't really care about the seeding you know like i was like it feels like it was almost like lebron thought I'm just not really afraid of anybody in the East, so it's not going to be that big of a deal. And who knows? You know, Game 7 could have gone slightly different in Boston. Uh, but you're 27. As you said, you get traded midseason. Can you say anything? It's not like you're really young because you played a lot in college, but what comfort level do you have in that moment where you feel like, hey, you know what? I've got a lot of things to say. There's some things I can see here, but I don't really know if I can take over the room here. What's that role like for you as a role player? For me, it was, um, no, I wasn't saying a whole lot at that point. And mainly not because, not really because of my status on the team. They did a good job of making sure, you know, everybody had a voice, but it was more so because of my lack of experience at that level. Again, yeah, I had, you know, yeah, I went four years of college and, you know, and then when I got to the league, it was just kind of, um, I hadn't went to a team that wasn't necessarily in the, in the throes of winning. So, um, you know, th- this atmosphere, this, this high intensity, high pressure winning atmosphere is something that was brand new to me. And I was more so trying to absorb trying to understand that first before I, before I really spoke my mind and, and, you know, the veterans we have on the team, we had on the team were, you know, obviously Bron, K-Love who'd been there, JR who'd been there, Tristan who'd been there, um, you know, Corver who'd been there and, you know, guys that you know, time and time again, year after year, our playoff veterans, like I, I definitely didn't feel like, um, I was just trying to learn as much as I could from, from guys that have been where I want to get. Yeah, no, it makes sense. Let's go back to the Lakers thing. You get drafted at the end of the first round. Um, you know, how'd you end up at Wyoming, by the way? Cause I know you're still in high school in Cleveland. I have a soft spot for, for that part of the country. How did you end up there? Uh, which part of the country, Cleveland or Wyoming? Wyoming. I know the Cleveland. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, So Wyoming, um, I was, so at 16 years old, I was, I was not really, um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's disease. So I was, you know, my growth was stunted and I, I I really didn't, you know, I didn't have as much weight and didn't really like anything athletic. So I didn't, uh, I didn't do it. And it took a while for it took a while for once I got diagnosed and treated, it took a while for my athleticism to kick in and my growth to kick back in and, and catch up. So I didn't really turn into a half decent player until 
my senior year. And there was a coach that at Wyoming, Larry Shiat, who was also from Cleveland, that had heard that, oh, Larry Nance's kid doesn't have a, doesn't have, you know, isn't committed anywhere, doesn't have a scholarship. And, you know, so he flew down, didn't even see me play and just, uh, and offered me a scholarship to go, to go, to go to Wyoming. And um, at that point, it was why I had Wyoming as a D1 offer and Bowling Green as a D1 offer. And, and, um, I just, I took a visit to Wyoming with, with my roommate or with a, a kid on my AAU team, another kid from Cleveland who ended up being my roommate. And we both just loved it and, and, uh, stayed four years. Yeah. And then you get drafted to the Lakers and I, I can't like, it's not like this is new to you. I mean, you know, your dad was like a big time player, right? So even though it's your experience, it's not like, oh, hey, it's this kid who got a late scholarship and now all of a sudden he's he's on the Lakers running around in Los Angeles. So even though that's all true and accurate and that happened to you, I, I imagine there was some part of you that maybe was a little bit more ready for that transition, not only because of your age and being an older rookie, but knowing that like, hey, I've heard these stories. I know my dad's friends and all this kind of stuff where like the transition, although it's yours and it's different, maybe wasn't as complicated because of your background. Again, I'm assuming here a bit too much, but what was that like? Um, I, I, not necessarily. Uh, so my dad retired in 95 and I was born in 93. So I didn't really, I didn't really get to be around the NBA a whole lot. It's not like he didn't do a whole lot of coaching. And so it wasn't, it wasn't something that I was too familiar with. Obviously, you know, I knew he played and knew his resume, but it wasn't something that for me was ever a, yeah, well, I'm just going to go play in the NBA. No, never. So me getting drafted was a surprise. And then going to LA in, in that, uh, in that market, you know, with, you know, playing with Kobe Bryant was like, man, I, I couldn't have dreamt this up. So I'm, you know, I was, even though I was older and, and had gone four years of college, my dad had played this. It, it was still, I was still learning just like any, just like D'Angelo Russell and, and Anthony Brown, my the two guys in my draft class were, it was, it was, uh, it was uh, being a rookie in LA is is unlike. There are very few things like it. All right, we'll just we'll just let that one sit there. Uh, I asked Mike Brown this question years ago when he was working at ESPN. Um, I was like, "Give me the best like explanation of how Kobe and LeBron are different," because I know all the reasons that they're the same. So maybe years later, you can do a better job as a teammate. I know what the same answers are. You're going to say competitiveness, the smarts, the way they see it. What's different? What was different about being teammates with those two guys? So I want to preface this by saying I caught Kobe on his last year, right? Like I, that's, not, I, that's not fair to him. It's not like I, I got to play with him at, at 31 or, or 28 or in the, in the prime of his career. So I caught him um, – you know, on, on the farewell tour. Um, but the biggest thing for me is, is leadership style, right? Like Braun is a, is a very, he's not really a, 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 a finger point. Like, Hey, you need to like, he's not really a, a put an address on it type of guy. He's a, we, us, a uh, very team centric guy. And not to say Kobe wasn't, but when it was time for someone to like, like someone messed up, it was like, you need to be better. It was very like, put the onus, I put that, put an address on it, put the onus on whoever did it and, you know, inspire guys by, 
holding the individual accountable rather than the whole team. Uh, but that was the biggest thing for me is just like, and it, which I needed, I needed that. I, my, for Byron Scott being my first coach and Kobe being my first vet was big time. Cause that's, I needed that. I needed that kind of old school approach of, of, uh, I know stuff you do it and you're doing college. That ain't, that ain't going to fly here. You better figure out some way to help this team win. And, and do it efficiently. And that's what's kind of defined my career thus far. I'm, you know, and so, um, you know, they're obviously both very, like you said, we know all the similarities, but the biggest difference to me is the, is the leadership style. I, uh, look, I, you know, I'm from the Northeast, so I've never had a moment where I've ever rooted for the Lakers, but I remember being <laughs> at home, you know, I'm, I'm sure I had to work the next day and, because I think it was in the middle of the week, and it was the sixty-point game for mm-hmm. for Kobe. Um, and you you played a lot of that game. Uh, you played like thirty minutes, and you know it was funny just because <laughs> I was like, I wonder who the next day. Because I might have been the guy that would be guilty of doing it, where it was like, well, he took fifty shots. But I was like, for that night, that's what it was supposed to be. You know, the team yeah. wasn't that good. I didn't. No one cared who won. The building was unbelievable to see all of these people and then everybody else encouraging him being like, don't shoot. You were three for three. So I'm not saying you needed more looks that night, but you were very efficient. (laughs) Uh, What was what were the moments like after that game where it was a celebration where honestly he was going out in like, look, winning game seven NBA finals. There's obviously better versions of going out, but it was like the most Kobe way to go out. And I felt like anybody that had a hard time with it, like that was for Lakers fans. That was for him. That was for that city and that for the, for that building. And I actually, I loved it because it was just, it was perfect. It was perfect for him as a player. No, when you do all he did in his career and the way he did it and, and all you did for the city and the organization you it was perfect you deserve it you've earned it if he wanted to take 70 shots i would have chased down 20 me and julius would have chased down 20 more offensive rebounds and gotten him the ball back um being on the court for that was uh, you know i've got hopefully i've got hopefully i've got a little bit of career you know a lot of career left and i do get to do some cool things but i don't know what it would have to be for me to to top that moment um, in terms of, in terms of career, um, career memories. Um, but no, I mean, the, the moments afterwards were like, it was a movie, right? The whole, that we had won, I mean, honestly, I think we won like 18 games all season, but if you would have asked me after that game, no, nah, I just won my first ring. Like I just got a, the championship and I was the star player. It was just Everybody was on such a high. We were in the locker room celebrating like we had just won. Um, and the guy deserved it. Um, the guy deserved it. He, he, uh, you know, the thing, Kanye West was in our locker room and stars were visiting us. And it was just like, man, this is, this is, this is so deserving of this guy's career. He deserves the, all his flowers and, and to go out on the note that, only only Kobe, a true gunslinger, can go out on. Yeah, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. All right, let's talk about your season. Uh, transitioning out of fun. Uh, not, <laughs> not to make it negative. Look, this the first is, half was fun. I had a lot of fun in the first <laughs> half of the season. This, I, At one point, I'm like, this is the deepest roster in the NBA. 
I still think talent, like one through whatever number you want to stop it at. Like there are just certain nights where I'm like, man, there's so many guys on this team that I like. There's so many different wings they can throw at you. Um, and then it all kind of comes back to, to Zion's health where I feel like you can get, you can get by for a little while. You know, Ingram had his health issues. Then he comes back and he closes really strong. Like, who are you as a team right now? What's the answer to that? We are. I, I think the answer to that is we are a number. The last time we saw us healthy, we are a number one seed in the West with a potential MVP candidate. Um, that has a lot of question marks around it. Um, you know, we're we're as good as with these. We're as good as every team playing right now. Um, our roster is. I'll put our roster up against it any day of the week. Um, but just like we talked about, you know, the Lakers, what happened to the Lakers rejuvenation? Well, yeah, AD's healthy. Um, what happened with the Pelicans, you know, slip off? There's no team in the NBA that can win without their two best players. Um, yeah, everything is, you know, everything is star centric in the NBA. So, um, you know, Z is obviously, you know, oh, a, a generational talent. When he's on the court, it's just makes the game so much easier for everybody else. But, um, you know, like you said, Brandon Ingram is the the stretch he put on at the end of the year was superstar status. Like that's something that needs to be pointed out. The dude was going 30 points, 35, 40, 35, 30. Like he was, he was, he got us, he, it's, if he got us where we, where we ended up, which, you know, ended up in the play in, but it was still like, he put a lot of load on his back and, and, and and carried us, but I, I still think we're I, I think we're just so talented. You're right. Our roster is incredible, but at the end of the day, health is our health is our health is what's going to kill us. And it, it has in the past and it, it did this year, but um, I'm still optimistic for the future. Can you help us on the outside understand the Zion day to day of it, of and, and maybe I should set it up a bit. Like, we all think the world of him is a talent. He seems like a great dude. The injury stuff is super frustrating. Um, at the end of this year, it got weird, you know, because you were like, wait, is he cleared? Is he not cleared? What's going on? There's all sorts of stuff you'll hear. Be like, oh, he's not even communicating with the team. That was more like last year. And then they were like, oh, that wasn't true. I, you know, I don't know. But I think those of us on the outside are like, wait, if he's, if he's cleared, but he doesn't want to go ahead and play. Like, what is it about the out? Like, what are what are we not getting the clear message on? What what is it that we don't understand? Those that maybe you know, at times I'm like, should I be more critical of Zion for not being ready or not being there for his teammates? Because that's the direction that it's heading for him, fair or not? No, that's that's you're right. Um, I think the biggest disconnect between what is going on in the organization and what everybody else outside the organization knows or doesn't know is the fact that. No, like, no one wants to be hurt, right? Like, we're sitting, like, one of the biggest things for me, you know, people always, oh, this call, call this guy street clothes or make fun of this guy for always being hurt. It's like, as athletes, we want to compete. Nobody wants to be hurt, right? So this, you know, Z, who's had his, his, injury, his injury history in his career, it's, it's not like he wants to be on the sideline, right? Brandon, who's had some injury history. Me, who've had some injury, injury history in my career. You don't want to be on the sideline. So, like, nobody's looking at him with, like, disgust of how could you, how could you do this to us? It's like, no, man. Like, 
it's sympathy. It's empathy. It's like, man, I, I feel for you. You, you know, I feel for you. This man was an all-star starter. He was an all-star starter and then didn't get to finish his season. Like if he wants to be on the court more than any of us want him to be on the court. And, and, and so, you know, these things come out of like, Oh, his teammates are mad or, Oh, his, this is mad. The front office is mad. Or, you know, Zion can't play the the, the locker room should be mad. Like none of that. We don't care about any of that. We just want the, we just want the guy to be all right. He's a tremendous human being. And obviously we know what he is as a, as a, as a player, you know, it, injuries are just an unfortunate part of sports that it takes some guys longer to realize than others. If the, if, if the Sixers would have given up on Joel Embiid, you know, they wouldn't have had an MVP on their hands, right? Like this, this could be a very similar situation. And it's, it's something that it's something that, you know, if, if, if I'm a betting man, I'm going to bet on, I'm going to bet on the, the human being that I know, because I think that he's, He's got, he's got the wherewithal to get through this, and he's um, he's got the people around him that are that are gonna. He's got a good group of people around him that are that are gonna help him in any way, in any way they can. I want to ask just one little quick follow up here because I don't know, you know, I don't know if you could tell me the truth, you know, because we know how this works. Like if you give yes. us any depth of an answer, where it's like, well, a couple guys are upset about it, and then it turns into Larry Nance Jr. says teammates are upset. Like that's what will happen. Like we're gonna call it right now, but right. you're telling me though, with as you could tell me that the part of people, his teammates being upset about him not being available at the end of the season, that's that's inaccurate. That so. There's a difference. Were we upset that he couldn't play at the end of the year? Yeah, we were upset. Not at him, though. Right. Right? Like, yeah, we were upset. We want we want to see him on the court. Just like I was upset when Brandon got hurt. I was upset when Z got hurt. I was upset when I got hurt. But I'm not mad at the individual person. It's just a frustrating situation. You're mad at the situation. You're upset that he can't be on the court with us. But nobody's sitting there like, getting the news and going, looking at Zion with like, oh, you, you know, like you'd look at someone that you were mad at. You're not mad at the kid. Like it's, we, as players, we play hurt, right? We play hurt. We don't play injured. Now, if someone's hurt or someone's sore and they're not playing, now it's like you might catch a little bit of a side eye from me. Like, come on, man. Like you got a sore ankle. Yeah, let's roll. But if someone's injured, you do not play when you're injured. No matter what. And that's, that's the, for me, that's the line of distinction. And, and, and Z was injured. Like, we, Z was injured. It was, so there's no, yeah, we are absolutely upset. I, I guarantee you, there, how many guys are in our locker? 17? There were 17 guys that were upset when we got that, when we got the update on Z, but not upset at Z, upset for Z and upset for our team and situation. That's a really good answer. And I, and I appreciate it because, you know, there's, you just know how it works. You know, any depth oh, of answer of in this can turn into something. All right. I have a couple thoughts here before we let you bounce. Um, cause I, I'm glad you brought up D'Angelo Russell, your, your draft classmate. Uh, I've had a hard time with him, man. I'll admit <laughs> I'll, I'll have a, I, I did a pretty, pretty intense rant on him during the season when he was still in Minnesota, where what I should have said is because he's so talented, he's he's super dangerous. And I, I was like, basically, I think he's like the worst starter because I think he hurts you so much. But I know you're probably going to be like, all right, this is where the interview ends. 
I think you can understand what I mean from a basketball sense of like how locked in that night is he going to be possession to possession. But I'm not denying the talent or the shot making ability. And I think that because he's not in charge of the possessions with the Lakers the way he was with Minnesota is that that variance, you know, it's more of a shooting variance than it is like, what are you doing out there? Help me understand the the dips and the highs and lows of the D'Angelo Russell experience as a teammate. Playing basketball. I'm not talking about anything. I'm not even care about anything else. Um, the basketball right. so part of with, his game. With D'Lo, when you get to see him day in and day out, it comes so easy to him. The game is like, he's, he's, he's so fluid and his game's so smooth that like, even when he's going through his workouts, it looks like he's going at half speed and just kind of going so slow. Like, do you have like, do you work hard? Like, it's crazy. And then you see it. He does it in the games, moves at that pace and gets to whatever shot he wants. He's so talented that he makes the game look so easy, right? Like, it's almost, it's, you don't get to, you don't understand until you see it in person. Like, you see it every day in, in workouts. And he, the dude's there shooting before practice, shooting after practice. He works hard. But like, the pace in which his like I like I, obviously not calling him the same player, but like in terms of pace, like I guarantee if you were to watch a guy like Kyle Anderson work out in the summertime, you'd be like, he doesn't go hard. But now you get him in the game, it's like, nah, dude gets buckets, but just at his own pace. So I understand, like from the outside watching D'Lo, it's like, what is he doing? But he's just gifted to where it looks uh, it looks a certain way. And now another thing I will say is the transition from not playing with Ron or a, a, a superstar to where the ball's in their hands and they're making decisions for the whole team. And the transition from not doing that to doing that is, can't, it shouldn't be overlooked, right? Like for me, it's easier because I don't want the ball in my hands, right? Like I'm a play finisher. You know, you get me the ball and I, I score. You give me the ball and I, you know, I get to somebody else. I, my, my decisions are quick and, you know, quick, snappy, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a ball stopper. I'm not a volume shooter. So it's easy for a guy, you know, for a, a role player per se, but you know, a guy like D'Lo who had gone from Minnesota, having the ball in his hands, Brooklyn, having the ball in his hands, um, you know, even golden state a little bit, having the ball in his hands, like his career, he's had the ball in his hands and gotten to kind of make plays and decisions at his own pace. Now you got to play at somebody else's pace on the biggest stage of your career. It's that's tough, man. I, I, I've done it, and it, it's tough. So, I, you know, I, I understand where where, it's, where it looks like you never know what you're going to get from him, but to a certain extent, he doesn't know what he's going to get any given night either. Yeah, I think that's the best way to summarize it there at the end. That that, that was good. Okay, I have, uh, I have one last thing for you here. All right, I want your pick in the East. So I don't know if you want to give us a quick one or in-depth one, whatever you want to do. Who's winning the East? Um, you know what? I'm gonna let's go on a limb. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna rock my boy K Love. I'm gonna take Miami. Whether that's the educated pick or not, I'm gonna take Miami. No, I mean, look at this point. I I don't think um I think it's the wrong pick. But at this point, I kind of give up with Miami. Can I ask you what does Spo do? That is like the next level stuff. Granted, you don't see him a lot because you're in the other conference. But you saw him when you were with Cleveland. What does Spolstra do where you're like, okay, like this guy's at another level? So with the, it's, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. So it's funny you ask, like before I got in the NBA, I didn't really understand like levels of coaching. 
It's like, what do you mean? Like the players make the decisions and the player, it's the players, players, players. And once you get in the NBA and start to see in high intensity games, the adjustments made from a coaching perspective, then you understand like, oh, I get it. And Spo is one of those coaches along with T. Lou, along with um, uh, Steve Kerr, um, along with Pop, some of these coaches that like their in-game adjustments are so good that they, they will win you a game despite the players on the court. And Spo is one of those guys that um, one of those guys that has in-game adjustments like that. And so like to give you an example, in the the first game one of Heat Knicks, um, the Knicks had just come off a series where they were Jalen Brunson was running, Mitchell Robinson was running pick and roll with whoever the, the bigs, right? They're bringing Mobley up to the pick and roll, bringing Jared Allen into pick and roll, just constantly bringing you know, uh, who Julius and Mitchell Robinson into pick and rolls playing only with the bigs. And so what Spo did is he had Caleb who I love, Ke- I love Kevin, right? One of my best friends in the league, but that if, if I'm, if I'm the ball handler, I'm calling him up in a pick and roll. That's who I want. Right. So that's what they did. And what, so Spo knowing that started Caleb on Josh Hart, who Josh is a jack of all trades can do it all. But, to hit, to hit, like he doesn't know how to really play out of a pick and roll setting as the roller. Guards don't do that. So in game one, Kevin on Josh Hart allowed in making Josh like, all right, go ahead, pick and pop. We're going to keep Kevin in the drop. And knowing that shooting top of the, you know, top of the arc threes isn't necessarily the strongest part of Josh's game and encouraging him to shoot that would mess with New York's offense and clog the lane down and slow the game down, take away the ball from Brunson's hands and get it in, you know, guys that, um, you know, aren't, aren't as volume scorers as it. So like just that little adjustment in terms of like, you know what, we're going to take our four and start them on their, on their two and see what, see what makes them do like little stuff, like just the game within the game that clogged up the entire lane and allowed Miami to win game one on like in in MSG, in which shifts an entire series. If they don't win that, that game, now we could be looking at a game seven. Awesome answer. Okay, last one here. I don't always remember all of your defensive assignments, but I know kind of like, you know, you're going to be used on the perimeter guys. Give me, between Tatum, Brown, and Butler, who's the toughest for you to deal with? Mm, gosh, they're also they're also hard to guard in different for very different reasons do you want to give us a quick um, breakdown of why they're difficult I'll, I'll, and different reasons I'll, I'll give you a quick i'll give you a quick breakdown as to why they're different, different perfect reasons, right so so jay uh jason i'll start with tatum he's so hard to guard because of his hot the shot making ability is so high right like he he is a tough shot taker and a tough shot maker dude will take a shot where you're like i played great defense and it goes in right like he's got that step back three that in all, if you look across, I'm a percentage defender, right? You want to force guys into step backs most of the time. And, but that's what he wants. So he gets this, he, his shots that he takes and makes are shots that you kind of want him to take. He's just great. He's better at making them than you are at stopping it. Um, so Jason's just a tough shot maker. Uh, whereas Jalen, if you turn your head for a second, Jalen's at the rim. Right, Jason, you can almost like when when they're in their offense a little bit, you can turn your you can turn your head and play some help defense 
And Jason's going to be where you left him pretty much because he wants to score with the ball in his hands. Um, Jalen Brown is a cutter. He's a slasher. If you lose him on the fast break, that's a dunk. He's, he scores in, in a more, um, in a more full court setting, whereas Jason scores in a half court setting. Um, and then you said Jimmy. Yeah. I know my first thing, well, you have to guard him. I don't. My first thing with Jimmy is the coaches have to just scream at every guy being like, stay down on the first, second, and third pump fake when he's in the restricted area. You have to, like, that's the first thing with him now. The free throw rate's crazy. And look, you get tired, you go for one, but he's making a living with that. Like, it's it's cranked him up to a whole nother level. But again, you're the one that played against him, not me. So I'm I'm not going to sit here and tell you what to do. No, you're right. It, it's the fouls. It's the fouls. It's the, it's, it's the, um, I don't want to say the foul hunting, but the foul. Drawing. It is. It's, I, but yeah, it, it's a little bit. See, Jimmy, I look at different than I look at the foul hunters in the league and I'll stay away from naming them. But no, like, you're right. There's another, I wouldn't put Jimmy in that group, but there's, yeah. there's a group of like five or six guys where I think it gets yes, gross, but go ahead. Just, we, yeah, we won't you're do right. that. It gets gross. We'll stay away from that. But Jimmy is a foul drawer, not a foul hunter. And so Jimmy will get, he gets to his spot and what makes him so tough is like, you never know. You never know when the shot's coming, right? Like Jason's going to get to his spot and he's going to take the shot. Jalen's going to get to his spot and he's going to take the shot. Jimmy's going to get to his spot and wait for you to wait for you to like, are you going to lift your hips a little bit and I can go by you again? Or are you going to, are you going to know that I'm going to pump fake so I can just pull up and shoot it right over top of you and you too scared of a foul? Or you're gonna to be too aggressive, and I'm just gonna get you your second foul real quick and pump fake. Like he's too the way Jimmy thinks thinks the game scoring offensively makes him that much more difficult to guard. So like they saw they are they're so hard to guard in three different ways, but they all do it so efficiently that, you know, they're at such a high level. That was awesome, man. Really, this is a lot of fun. I really appreciate this. Before we let you go, Larry, uh, I want to talk about because you'd mentioned Crohn's disease, your foul station. Uh, everything that's going on off the court, what do you got? Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I try to do a lot. You know, I, I think of myself as incredibly fortunate to be in this position that I am. And, and uh, you know, there are, with this platform we have, I, you know, I try to give back in as many ways as we can. So for me, um, I was diagnosed with Crohn's at 16 years old. And, and um, you know, there's a, there's a whole slew of, I want to say there's probably I think 3 million Americans that are diagnosed now with it. And, um, you know, it's got, it got a bunch of nasty, uh, nasty symptoms and whatnot. So we won't get into that, but it's, you know, it's my foundation. That I set up athletes versus Crohn's is, is, is a, is a way to connect, um, way to connect these kids that are getting diagnosed at a young age that are just trying to feel normal and feel, you know, fit in pretty much, um, give them a community and give them, um, someone to look up to that's been there and done it before. You know, we've got, uh, we've got doctors, we've got lawyers, we've got, um, we've got baseball players. You know, obviously I'm a basketball player. There are, there are people in all walks of life that have, that have gotten to, um, gotten to do and experience some really cool things despite this disease. And so that's what we're trying to show these kids is, you know, despite your disease, there's nothing you can't do in life. And, and, um, so we have scholars, we do scholarships and scholarship dinners and experiences. And I run out suites for a bunch of kids to come from the hospital and, and be at the games and I speak to them. So, um, it's something I'm very proud of and something that, uh, you know, hopefully won't stop, hopefully won't stop when, when I'm done with the league. 
No, you should be proud of that, man. I was reading about it this morning and everything. And, uh, you well, know, thank it's, you. it's awesome that you take on, uh, this challenge. Hey, thanks a lot for this and enjoy the rest of the playoffs and hopefully we get to catch up again. This is terrific. Thanks, Larry. Most definitely. Appreciate you having me on. This episode is brought to you by Hulu Plus Live TV. Looking for a better way to watch live TV? Stream your favorite sports and shows on over 95 live channels with Hulu Plus Live TV. Get access to Hulu's entire streaming library, Disney Plus and ESPN Plus, all in one plan. Start your free trial of Hulu Plus Live TV today. Live TV plan required. Restrictions apply. Access content from each service separately. Learn more at Hulu.com. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co forward slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval. Terms apply. You want details? Fine. I drive a Ferrari, 355 Cabriolet. What's up? I have a ridiculous house in the South Fork. I have every toy you can possibly imagine. And best of all, kids, I am liquid. So, now you know what's possible. Let me tell you what's required. Before we get to life advice, our main man, our main <laughs> man, Kyle, back in the mix, fresh off his bachelor party, Ocean City, Maryland. Sounds like secrets got a lot of play. What's up to Saruti as well? <laughs> um, we just want to talk to you, bud. What's going on? Uh, it's a really tough place to get to. Uh, first <laughs> of all, my voice is coming back. That's good. Uh, it's a really tough place to get to. I think um, some, several people hinted at it, but I think the season starts probably a week or two from now. <laughs> I don't think it was. Uh, I don't think it was. The season was in full swing there. Um, but it was it dead. Hey, it, it, uh, it, it, I thought it was until Saturday night and I've never seen, uh, like secrets was absolutely jam packed. Uh, it was, it was one of the greatest nights of my life, but, um, <laughs> yeah, I mean the, the two groups was, uh, a little bit like, uh, vinegar or oil and water, you know, uh, they, one of the guys would come up to me and be like, I fucking hate those guys. And I'd be like, yeah, they told me they fucking hate you too. But, um, because we had world, yeah, you, you had two different solar systems. Yeah, the New York here, right? City crowd, Poughkeepsie crowd. Um, you know, what was the point of contention? Like, what was the what were the issues? Um, I don't know. They just thought they like operated differently. Like Great some question. dude, two of the Poughkeepsie guys. One of them. I mean, we started at nine thirty in, in the morning um, on the day after we got there, so Friday. And one of my buddies just smacks the ever loving shit out of the other guy. And all the guys, all the New York City guys on the porch were like, "Whoa, what the fuck was that?" And then uh, the other guy was like, hey, hold on, let's talk about this. Boom, smacks the shit out of him. And and they were like, well, what, what the fuck is going on? It's 930 in the morning. Aren't you guys like best friends? And it was like some stupid thing about like breaking the rules in the Airbnb. Guy smoked a cigarette in the room immediately. Um, it was like. <laughs> so it was real. <laughs> it was legitimately on at 930 a.m. with drinks in hand. It was on two of your Poughkeepsie core guys were like. Right. Going at it. It wasn't it was it wasn't fun. It was like, I'm going to hit you. It wasn't, yeah, and then it like, but then it wasn't a fight, and that was like it, and they were like stormed off to opposite porches of the house, and 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 the New York City guys were like, Kyle, what the fuck is going on here? And I was like, I don't know, man, I'm sorry, <laughs> let's get off this porch. <laughs> uh, so I, it, it, there was go to your porch, that, yeah, go to your porch, and and you know, 
whatever, chain smoke until you feel better. I don't know. But um, so, okay. so that it was just like stuff like that and like little points throughout the weekend. They'd be like, what's up with these guys? But because um, we had always, we had always like, once a year, I throw a party in Poughkeepsie and everybody comes to that one. And they, so they, these, it's not the first time they've ever seen these guys, but it is the first time they've ever slept under the same roof as these guys, I think. And especially for multiple nights. So, um, yeah, it was, <laughs> it was a little bit, uh, I think the last day everyone was like, I can't wait to get the fuck away from this group. So, um, but everybody, everybody came together. That was nice. Went to the casino. Um, my one buddy got kicked out immediately. Just, um, what do you do? Uh, their, their thing was visibly drunk, but I think, you know, in his defense, in his defense, I think that, um, whatever they show you about what you can do at craps tables in the movies, that is not how people who run craps tables want you to act. Like he's got the dice, you know, he's like, Hey, who want to blow the dice? And the the lady's just like, uh, like, sir, sir, sir. (laughs) And then like the next thing he does, they're like, Hey, listen, anything you've seen in the movies don't do. And I think his response was just some jump like jumbled drunk garbage and they were like sir you must go and we had just got in i just put out like 300 bucks so uh he disappeared for a little while uh but i tell you secrets was just everything everyone said what is it it's it's like uh it's so it's on the water right it's on the water they have a bunch of sand i think it's like a it's really the beach you know so they just it's not like they import the sand like it's just there uh there's probably six different bars uh, it looks a little bit like resortish in some places. It's also like pretty much like there's bars. You can't smoke in the outside bars in case everybody was wondering. Couple inside bars. They got a raw bar. They got a big like concert venue that's got like a huge like screen behind it. Uh, it's really good, good food. Um, but they're outside, I guess. Uh, so the last night I was there, we were all, I we just got a bunch of crab cakes. I went and got a bunch of, uh, of shrimp. You know, I was, we were spending money. We get, we're at this table right, right by the, looking out at the uh, horizon at the ocean. And then all of a sudden this big fucking, like, it's almost like, like at a, at a water park when that big bucket like dumps on you just out of nowhere, like a, a massive spray of water. And uh, we're like, what the fuck is that? And then there's like girls screaming. Everybody's like running. We don't know what's going on. It happens again. I'm, and I, it hits like directly on our food, like uh, all this, all this market price food. And, uh, <laughs> And I'm like, what the fuck is going on here? And like, my buddy's screaming because he's got now hit three times. He doesn't even know where to go. And uh, he's like, what the fuck is this? And uh, the bartender's like, oh yeah, we just planted a tree. That's a sprinkler. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> so um, uh, our comp was six lemon drop shots. So fuck that oh, guy. Oh man. Uh, <laughs> that's, but, wait, uh, that's so all your food no was thanks. ruined, and you got six lemon drops to replace I mean, it wasn't, soggy it food. Was, it wasn't like uh, it wasn't like the food just got there, but you know there was probably a crab cake and a half left, and the shrimp still had the jackets on it, so we weren't really messing with it that much. But the principle of it was, uh, you know, what the fuck is going on? It's a Saturday night, and uh, you've got this mass. It's like I've never seen. It's almost like those like uh, I can only like like one of those water cannons that keeps the football fields hydrated. It was so much water, and it was aimed. It was like, are we getting fucking pranked right now? And it was just this one spot. And they were like, yeah, sorry, we just planted a tree there. I'm like, dude, there's a hundred people back here. We and, punked uh, <laughs> What? So, okay, so why was this the best night of your life? Um, It was just, it was so packed. And uh, it wasn't the best night of my life. I'm just trying to tell myself I had a really good reason to go to fucking Ocean City, Maryland in early May, dude. 
Uh, but it, it was it was it was great. Whoa, because, wait, uh, I don't I, like where the tone shifted here. Did you not have a good time? <laughs> no, I did have a good time. I did have a good time because I like the the tensions were brewing, and I just was like, I don't actually care. And if something if something does actually come to bubble up, I'm not going to do anything about it because um, I just don't have to. I'm the one guy that doesn't have to worry this weekend. So I had a good time. Um, the you know little factions were breaking off and doing different things, but we were actually all together quite a bit. So. How many? Um, I think it was thirteen dudes. Yeah, including me. The Thursday through Sunday—that's that's a that's a marathon. It felt like one situation. day too many. Yeah. yeah. And did you go out Sunday night? No. So Sunday I traveled for thirteen hours just to get back to Los Angeles. Okay. Go ahead, Suri. No, it's it's, it's tough because like it sucks that you got to play like the the peacekeeper there. Like you don't want to be the guy as the bachelor to be like, hey, I guys, decided not don't to fight. <laughs> But, I decided you know, not to. It is what it is. Uh, you know, I, I, you would think they'd be like, hey, guys, like, let's just do this for Kyle. Let's not fuck shit up for Kyle. Let's make sure Kyle has a good time. So I'm glad, you know, hopefully things didn't boil over too much. But even like even buddies that I'm friends with that I've been to bachelor parties with guys have known each other for years that actually genuinely like each other. You put you put like that many guys in one house for a weekend and guys, it's just, people are going to start hating each other. Like, it's just you're not just because I like you or I, I'm friends with you doesn't mean I could live with you for a couple of days. Like, there's, I have plenty of friends that there's no way we could be roommates. And I like him. I want to hang out with him. We go out a lot. But like, there's no if we live together, I would hate you. And that's kind of like it's like the real world. Like you're putting this to a very extreme test of like, all right, a couple guys under a roof and there's obviously alcohol involved. So you could you could be friendly with the guys and not even like them. So the fact that these guys didn't like each other had, you know, the vibes were off going in. Honestly, I'm just happy that everybody kind of stuck together and it didn't boil over too bad. I'll ask you I like, this. Go ahead. Is go it ahead. normal? Is it normal? There was a lot of naps in this. Uh, it was like a lot. It That's was like good. a lot of like, oh, fuck. Now he's napping. What are we going to do? Should we leave him? And then it's like uh, it was just a lot of naps. And, and it was like, are we getting older? Is that what it is? Or is it just the amount of beer at the times that we're drinking them? This is just a natural crash. Like it's like like these dudes are 30. Like, should I, we be napping this much? I was a little concerned. I think, you know. If you can coordinate the naps, it's great. Obviously, there's only a certain amount of places people can go, and guys are going to fall at certain different, you know, different times. But I, you know, I went to the most recent one I went to was in Charleston. Uh, it was my brother-in-laws, and they're all younger dudes than I was, and they were team no nap. Like they just, I think sure. they slept probably like <laughs> four total hours over the course of a weekend. Sure, uh, like we were like we were up till four, then golfing at like at a tea time at seven a.m. Yeah, you're fuck. just like, how do you guys lit? So I, the first night I was there. I call out 930. I was like, guys, like, I know if I go any further, like, it's going to be a bad news for me. That's first night. Second night, I was up till four. It was great. But like, you just I think as long as guys know their limits and nobody's like being weird and like puking everywhere and like starting fights, a nap to me is totally fine. Yeah, I think there's an age thing where you should be napping at bachelor parties, but I don't care how old you are. The 7 a.m. tea time thing is the dumbest Brutal. call ever. It's so yeah. stupid. We used to do it, too, because we let the golfers be in charge of it. And then these guys would be like 23, not staying out with us till four in the morning, <laughs> then being like fresh because they didn't want to fuck up their golf round. And the rest of us would be like dead and showing right up and, you know people making fun of you for being in a cart and be like if there wasn't a cart I would, you know the, the number of mornings you woke up on these trips in the hotel room going what if i don't golf today like, I, don't <laughs> right. even, I don't even well so i tried to. i tried getting out of it a couple times and like one guy was like hey man like you know we you know booked it first off we hadn't even paid yet but he was like guilt tripping me into being like come on like we have the numbers this is that i'm like dude if it's a if it becomes a threesome and it was a foursome like it's not that big of a deal i'm not even that good although uh, randomly i did play a very good round at 7 a.m that morning um super hungover but i tried to get out of it and i was kind of being guilt tripped and be like dude no you can't get out of it like make sure you go and 
I, in hindsight, I 100% could have gotten out of it and should have done that. So I don't know. It's just, you're right. The golf guy, the golf hardo guy, it's kind of a tough scene. I would just say to everybody, if there's one thing you ever learn from this podcast, when you do these guys trips on the golf weekends, book a later tee time. And I know what you're going to say. Oh, well, the destination golf places, like a lot of times, those are the only open ones. Pick a different one then. Pick a different <laughs> golf course. Let's go mini golfing. Because yeah. when you do the 7 a.m. tee time thing, depending on like when you have to get there, we had one in Denver. That's still probably one of my favorite weekends ever. But we had one where guys hadn't gone to bed at all. And it was, it was, I think it was kind of the last messy one for my group. And the number of guys that just physically or mentally were incapable of getting through a golf round, like it just wasn't, it wasn't going to happen. It just wasn't like they were in a cart. They had clubs with them. They, they went through that experience, but like every now and then you'd look over and you'd be like, Oh my God, like imagine being with those guys right now. <laughs> like look at that group. Cause then I think they reassigned. They were like, who did what last night and who went out with who and who didn't go to bed. I'd be like, okay, you four guys are on your own cart. <laughs> you two right. are, you, you two are, you're your own foursome. Here are your two carts. Just, don't kill anybody. And then guys would be like checking in on him and then coming back. Got eyes to the on him, right? <laughs> yeah, right. They'd be like, did you hear what to be like? Are they even playing anymore? And they're like, dude, I was behind him for a little while. Like you have to go over and watch what they're doing because they're trying to fight through it. And then we ended up uh, in Boulder for lunch that day. And it's, it's still one of my favorite days I've ever had because it was just that much funnier. And then guys actually recovered somehow. Uh, but that morning, but yeah, like that's the lesson. And I think at that point too, like we were still like mid thirties. So, but I remember there were early tea time and a guy being like, who did this again? Who set up this trip? And we're like, Oh, a golf guy set up this trip. We're like, dude, it isn't even a convenient course. Like this course is like an hour out of town. This is fucking ridiculous. Yep. Cause that's why we started in Denver, had to drive all the way out to this course and then come back into Boulder. And, uh, anyway, all right. Um, I liked that the Poughkeepsie, uh, Poughkeepsie guys hit each other and set the tone. I know the New York <laughs> yeah. City guys didn't like it, but I got to admit, like if I anything throughout this story, those guys were real tempo, tempo setters. And I kind of like it. They held we're, each other accountable. I respect it. We're yeah. going to hit each other immediately. <laughs> I mean, it was nine in the morning. Everyone was just shocked. My little brother was there. He was like, what the fuck was that? He's like, he's like 20. I'm like, hey, you don't you don't have to stay here. My brother, actually, I met his uh, his girlfriend, the oh, yeah. uh, the Russian in her 30s. She said a couple I rode all the way up to Philadelphia airport where they dropped me off i think i said two words to her um i i mean i said words to her she just answered in like one or two um way prettier than the picture and that's really all i have to say about that <laughs> my dad was like so did you talk to him about it i was like nah i got nervous so we'll see her at the wedding okay so that's uh, yeah i was gonna ask about that so um i don't have a ton of info he seemed a little disappointed he was just like so what'd you say to him i was like i said uh like, here. Yeah, <laughs> it was like, uh, he's happy. Have you Dad, talked to our happy. parents? Let him be happy. Have you talked to our parents <laughs> yeah. yet? And he was like, "Yeah, I don't know." I was like, "Okay, all right. Well, uh, you want another beer or something?" And so <laughs> it was, uh, it was fine. <laughs> she was way prettier than that one picture that I I saw. So that was cool. Good when you meet her, though, you're supposed to say that you're into mining. <laughs> all right, here we go. Life advice. Life advice. Rr at gmail dot com. All right. Uh, greetings from an NBA city. I've been an NBA fan my whole life. I loved MJ like every other kid of my generation, but otherwise I've enjoyed rooting for my team more than any specific player, but I tend to follow the whole league. 
Okay. My wife and I have two boys, ages four and almost two. My wife's first job out of college was with the newly formed Oklahoma City Thunder. Sorry, Seattle. We've since moved. Um, we found ourselves doing player introductions before Little Tykes basketball games in our own home. We give family members nicknames after NBA players. I call them tell him who won MVP and he responded by telling me he remembered Embiid's jersey number. Again, he's four. All right, so this is cool. All right, we got it. Our problem is his favorite player is Ja Morant. He's been to multiple Grizzlies games when they come to our hometown, getting there early to watch Ja warm up and staying past his bedtime to get in a few more minutes. His grandparents got him a jersey for Christmas. His favorite number is 12 and he points out it's Ja's number every chance he gets. Think the clock in the oven or microwave. So anytime he sees 12, he says, Ja, that's pretty cool. He's nicknamed himself Jetpack Ja when he rides his scooter. What do we do? In all honesty, I would love the guidance. I'm happy to buy a couple more jerseys of other players to divert his attention. But to be honest, I really wish I could go back and take back all this time I spent encouraging him to root for Ja, who then evolved into his favorite player. We've even spent time rationalizing some of his behavior earlier this year, telling ourselves he would change. Today's event is a bridge too far. It's an incredibly disappointing blow to our family who has already been actively discouraging jaw references in our home for the past two months. As a fan for three decades, it's my lowest point of NBA fandom. I know Charles Barkley famously said he's not here to be a role model. I don't need him to be a saint, but here we are hitching our proverbial wagon to a 23-year-old idiot. Thanks for the advice. I'm sure you'll have a chance to talk ad nauseum about Ja, uh, but the parenting angle is one that hurts me the most. Thanks. All right. Um, the Charles Barkley thing was a marketing thing, so and it worked perfectly, and you know whatever. Like, you're a kid. You're not even thinking about that kind of stuff. He was my favorite athlete ever. I think I bought deodorant when I didn't even need it because of Charles Barkley, right? So the marketing thing worked. I love him as a player. I think you're being, I don't know. I'm not a parent here. I, my initial reaction is I think you're being a little too emotional about it. Yeah. Um, but I can also understand you saying, hey, go fuck yourself. I don't want my kid to have Ja be his favorite player. It really comes down to like what you think of Ja. Yes, I think he's, um, you know, you're questioning the intelligence level here when you're like, what are you doing? Uh, we could get into a massive debate about intent, optics. I've seen it all. I've read it all. I mean, I think it comes down to a, uh, a young, I don't know if I should say kid, because you're faced with the franchise, so you're you're kind of held to a different standard. There's just a lot of stuff that's, that's baked into this that I agree with some of it and disagree uh, strongly with other parts of it. Like I saw something where it was like, oh, Nike's still promoting job, but drop Kyrie immediately. It's like, okay, well, all depending on what you think of the Kyrie end game for him, I would ask anyone that brings up that argument as if you made a good point because you didn't. Um, do you think the Kyrie run the last year plus as a partner with that guy? I think that was a good time for Nike or anyone else. You think it was all awesome up until the day he tweeted out promoting an anti-Semitic movie? Do you think do you think everything was awesome on Thursday and then Friday? It's like, hey, let's just torch this whole relationship. I would suggest with information that I'm not going to share that that relationship wasn't exactly like it was becoming more and more strained all the time. So it's not it's not the same thing. Um, you could also argue selfishly that Nike is looking at it as we put all of this money into a guy and we're giving him the rare signature shoe that we don't like, let's, let's kind of see how this goes. Because at this point, this is my opinion. I think jaw is only guilty. At least what we know, he's only guilty of not getting it to a really like absurd level. And 
if that's something specific to this emailer who's like, I don't want my kid to have that be his favorite player, that's fine. That's that's totally fine. He's also four. You could probably just show him highlights of Anthony Edwards and buy a different jersey, and he'd probably like Anthony Edwards as much as he'd like Ja in in a week. All right. He's I don't think he's gonna ask you to sit down with you and the mom and be like, why are you guys pushing this Anthony Edwards stuff on me? <laughs> like you get him a new Jersey and you show him dunking. And like, I think it, it could be fixed like that. Um, I, I don't, you know, I think there's some parents a lot that would agree with you. You know, Michael Wilbon would agree with you. I maybe as the non-parent am, am not the right person to ask here. I already know where Saruti's going with this. So this isn't going to make the emailers day either. I can just tell because we know each other so well. Uh, there's like, I think this is pretty fixable. I mean, shit, dude, like guys have imaginary friends at this age. It's four. <laughs> You're going to, you'll get through this. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't give a shit. I mean, I know that <laughs> well, I'm not a parent. I, I, I know that. that I'm not a parent, but I mean, like what, like, what is this? I know it's four, but like, are you going to do this with music when he's 12? Like, are you going to be like, oh, it's no hip hop for you. You'll be the only kid on the bus who doesn't know any hip hop. Like, is that what it's going to be like? Uh, and also like, why can't you just be like, yeah, this is my favorite player and he can have a favorite player, but you don't have to support it. Like, like you, like you said, like you could just be like, well, daddy really likes Anthony Edwards now and just talk. You don't, you don't have to be like, you shouldn't like this guy or whatever, but like, just, you, you could steer him in a different direction in your own way, but like, let him like have a favorite player. Like it's part of his, yeah, part but, of what he likes. Uh, it's not look, necessarily going to be part of his personality. Like, I didn't try to be Tom Brady when I was like, like fucking a little kid. Like, yeah, but I, but I just liked him. <laughs> I don't yeah, know. but this what's going on here is the, the emailer does not want his kid to have Jaws his favorite player, right? Like, so, right. well, that might take care of itself if it gets suspended for a big chunk of next year. I mean, you're just not going to see the guy. But at the end of the day, I don't, you know. Just because Jaws doing what he's doing, I, I don't think you're. What do you say he's for? I just don't think that he's aware of what's going on enough to like have that actually shape his personality. Totally. But that's not that's not what the emailer said. The emailer right. is is so anti John his actions, which I understand. I'm not yeah. saying the emailer's wrong about that. But he's, he's like, wrong. you know what? I don't want this guy to be my kid's favorite player. Like I get that part of it. I don't know if I had a four year old and he loved Jaw, if I'd be like, all right. This is really pissing me off. We need to pick somebody else out. If if the emailer here does feel that way, like I'm not going to tell him he's wrong, even if I think he's being a little dramatic about it, only because I think if you really, really care that much, you can solve it back to our initial point. So go ahead, Suri. I don't need to repeat ourselves. No, I, I, I understand. Like, I think I wouldn't be pumped either. It's obviously like a confusing situation. I think it's a little bit more complicated when like if he was like 10 or 11 or 12 and he like has a forward grasp on this stuff, he'll probably end up growing out of the jaw phase anyway. I mean, listen, here's the thing. Like if jaw, if jaw's career doesn't go the way that we think it's going to go because it gets derailed by all this stuff, it's a chance that your four year old isn't going to care about him in a couple of years from now. So like I, I understand like worrying about it in the present being like, yeah, this isn't a person that I want my son to be Wearing, like, yeah, your son wearing a job or aunt jersey like tomorrow probably wouldn't be an awesome look as a parent. Like, I get that. So maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe you just buy him, as you said, Anthony Edwards, some other stuff and just try to like get him hooked on something else. And he's probably going to double down and be like, no, I like Ja. And that might even make things worse. But so I, I understand what you're saying. I just don't think, I, I don't think ultimately this is like a long term issue. It's really just kind of like a short term problem that he has some, he has some Ja interest now. He's got some jerseys. You'll probably be embarrassed if he talks about how Ja is his favorite player, given everything that's gone on. I just think he'll grow out of it eventually. Maybe I you think could get him on the ground floor with Wemby. You could start this shit tonight. That's true. Yeah, that's right. Get him on the ground the draft floor. With him. 
Yeah, like I don't know. Seven I think five kids, no shoes. <laughs> I think kids like perimeter players better. Yeah, totally. Uh, unless you know, <laughs> but like this line in the email is the one where I'm like, okay, like I feel like this line lost me a little bit. But reading it again, again, here's the line. I really wish I could go back and take back all the time I spent encouraging him to root for Ja, who then involved, then who uh, then evolved into his favorite player. Like, dude, what are you going to start beating up on yourself because yeah, you picked a really fun, like, Jaws fun, man. Jaws is like the epitome of, this is why he has the Nike deal. His playing style and personality up until this point, we realized, like, what, what the fuck are you doing, man? Uh, it was the blueprint for what you would want in marketing other than, you know, shoot, even being in a, I can't believe it, I didn't just swear there, being in a smaller market like Memphis, like in a way, the Memphis grittiness kind of played into the whole thing. Like this makes sense that there's so many little kids out there being like, "Ja is my favorite player," right? Uh, but don't don't start like getting upset with yourself that you invested time with it. Like, you know what? I get it. I get it. At that time, and look, he sent a picture. His kid's cute as hell. He's got his Jaw jersey on at Christmas. I get it, man. I, I love Saruti's call. Imagine this kid just going to the mall tomorrow with it on. <laughs> like, yeah, well, what's I've, up? I've actually, I've actually thought about this before because I have a daughter in relation to so to like to, to steer it towards that, like musically, like what you know. We listen to some questionable stuff. Like, do I like I? I probably wanted to listen to more Taylor Swift than I would wanted to listen to like you know I don't know Katy Perry songs. Been talking about making out in Vegas with random people. Like I don't know. Like I've just, I've just thought about this in my head of like. Yeah, as a parent, like obviously you you want to shelter your kid a little bit, and you know, but they're, they're you know they're still going to consume this stuff. But I think about myself, like I grew up, shit, I grew up listening. I'm sure Kyle, same thing with you, Ryan. I grew up listening to like Limp Biscuit and you know Nas G Unit, yeah, and the G Unit exactly. Like, and I, you know, I, I I think I turned out all right. Like I didn't I didn't go down that path of life. Like I kind of understood the difference. Like I liked it as an entertainment thing, but it wasn't a lifestyle for me. So I don't I don't. It's kind of like the thing that the video games, like the video games cause like violence. I, I don't know. Like I played a ton of video games. I, I played Call of Duty my entire life and I'm not a violent person. I'm not saying that you, it, I'm not saying that there is no connection to that whatsoever, but I don't think that's the reason I know what you're the saying. kid ends up right. growing up to be that way. So I think, I think you can consume questionable media and, and, and follow questionable people who are talented artists and whatever they do. And it doesn't have to be your entire personality or entire kid's personality. Yeah, I don't even know that he's talking about the impressionable thing. I think he just, as a father, hates the idea that his son... And everything you said there, Suri, like, there's a lot that you said there that I completely agree with. Like, I remember when one of my buddies, two daughters, and he goes, there's no weirder feeling than coming home and your two daughters are screaming, you know, Katy Perry tunes. Wop, Cardi B. (laughs) Right. Well, not not exactly (laughs) Cardi B, but, like, some of the Katy Perry stuff that's, like, pitched as just fun, and you're like... Your, your daughters are singing the lyrics and they're like seven yeah. and you're just like, what? And they don't understand. Are we doing? Yeah. Yeah. They don't understand. And he's like, thank God nobody understands. And you know, whatever, we'll just keep it moving and imagine everything's going to kind of work out. Cause for the most part, it really does. But I think specific to this one, it's like this emailer clearly looks at Ja in a way that, uh, maybe, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that are just completely done with Ja. Uh, I, I'm just different in the way that I'm like, all right, this guy fucked up a couple of times. I mean, again, he sit down like, hey, I'm good to go. Everything's cool. It was so vague. I went to Florida. I talked to some people. And I was like, this is just all part of the PR bullshit. He has to go do this. He has to apologize for us. He has to make us feel like he is sorry, even though he isn't. And he just he said, talk to Jalen like, Rose again. Yeah. Is he going to do another sit down with Jalen? I wonder if, well, Jalen would do it because it's a good get, but Jalen got a lot of shit for that one. 
uh, I, I'd imagine he would still do it again. Although I imagine there's probably people with jaw this time around to be like, oh, we have to do something that's considered us getting it even more and not doing it with a former player where it's thought to be Joe as friendly. This, this. Yeah. I'm trying to think. Brian Curtis, maybe. All right. Yeah. Great. Let's uh let's move on from this. I get look, I I get it. I, I'm not trying to be dismissive of, of the parent part of this at all. I guess I wouldn't be this I wouldn't be this worked up about it, man. And I wouldn't start like getting upset about the time that you spent with this. Um but yeah, I get it too. Like your kid's gonna be like, Can I put on my jaw jersey and run around the front yard? Like maybe today. And you're not gonna want him to do that. And also to not Florida, be in Memphis too, right? In Memphis, it's like, hey man, what do you want us to do? But he said he's not in Memphis, right? Right. right. Okay. Uh, getting backhanded compliments because my girlfriend is hot. 6'3", 210, 29 years old. My pickup game is reminiscent of Jimmy Butler. All right, dude. <laughs> I know the comparison, uh, comparison is blasphemous right now, considering we're in the middle of the NBA playoffs and everybody suddenly remembers Jimmy is really good at basketball. No, we, rem- we all know that he's really good at basketball. It's just that what he did against Milwaukee was absurd. Um, I'm a wing who doesn't really shoot threes, but gets to the basket, plays solid defense, loves the mid range. Guys in the local court call me Lefty Larry as a comp to Bird. <laughs> okay, wow, would love to see you play, man. I'm also like- great at banging. What? No, I'm just he doesn't say that. <laughs> Because I only mentioned that in hopes of minimizing any roasting I'd receive for a butler comp. It's too late. Too late, man. You <laughs> thought Lefty Larry was going to help? All right. Here we go. Here we go. I'm in a serious long-term relationship that is currently long distance because my girlfriend and I both got into top programs for grad school. All right. Maybe this guy is awesome. Our relationship is great, and we are unbelievably happy with each other. We're able to visit each other pretty regularly because we're both done with classes and on to more research focus portion of our PhDs. When I visit her in Connecticut, people in her program love to loudly ask questions like, quote, how did you manage to get her? Or why are you settling for him? We're pretty sure that people think that they're complimenting her attractiveness, but these remarks are backhanded at best, and neither of us enjoys this situation. I'm pretty annoyed at the backhanded compliments. My girlfriend, bold font, hates them. How should we respond when people say stuff like this? Should we ask them to completely explain themselves so that they know they're being insulting? Also, nobody does this when we're outside of Connecticut. Is this a Northeast thing? Oh, wow. Hmm. Or is our program just filled with assholes? P.S. I'm not ugly. I attached a pic yeah. of us. It's going to be my first question. Right. They call me Colin Farrell. At the bars. I'm a slightly taller DiCaprio. Uh <laughs> All right. So, um, sucks for the audience here to not be able to see the picture uh, of our crew, but I'm looking at him. Uh, full disclosure, Uh-oh. I don't think there's that much of a gap for people to keep saying this. It's like, she's attractive. You're not a bad looking guy. This is not like Africa and the Americans before plates started shifting here. Uh, or I would say after they start shifting, get your plate tectonics down. We're talking Pangea here. What are we talking about? Yeah, right. Like I got it. I don't see some massive gap. So a lot of times when people say stuff like this, like sometimes it's true, right? Sometimes it's true. 
in this case, I don't think that there is this this massive gap between the two of you. Um, sometimes people just say stuff, right? Like they're awkward in the way that they break the ice with other people. Um, it might be a Northeast thing now that I think about it. But again, because I, I lived in the Northeast almost most of my life, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know that I've heard it out in L.A. at all. I'd also have to be with people more often to have somebody set that up for me. So that would, <laughs> I'm probably not the best case study for that one. Uh, so Rudy, like, do you, do you think that's a Northeast thing? Has anybody ever said it to you? Nobody says uh, it to you because you're a fucking smoke show, but no, I, I, I think, I don't think it's a Northeast thing. I don't know. I mean, we're definitely judgier, I feel like here and more, you know, crotchety, but I don't think that we would be more likely. My only thought was like you were living on the West coast are, is it just more common on the West Coast that ugly dudes date hotter women? I don't know. Maybe. I'd probably, I guess, right? I don't know. No, I would argue that at least like where I live, if there's a beautiful wife and you see the guy, you can kind of figure it out like pretty quickly. Well, that's, yeah, you know? like it's so, the money thing, right? I guess. Yeah. Well, why don't, here's what you could do. Why don't you just, just play dumb? And if someone's like, hey, like, how'd you put, what's going on here? Like, how'd you pull her or something? Be like, what are you talking about? What do you mean? And then just kind of like make it really awkward. Yeah, they'll counter their awkwardness with more awkwardness. I love the idea because that's that's really all this is. It's a lot of people being awkward in the beginning, not knowing what to say. And then there's these people that will kind of default to insults. And that's their way of breaking the ice. And it can really get annoying, especially when it's the same time and it's happening over and over again. Again, I ran into this guy from back home. I don't really even like him. And yet, every time I see him, he starts with an insult. And I was like, we're never really, we're friends. We never had a phase where we were friends enough that you get to keep doing this. Like, from the jump, we weren't buddies. And this is your only move. And it's just insult, insult, insult all the time. But that's his, like, that is his weird way of dealing with, like, whatever social anxiety or insecurities that that person has. Like, and I didn't realize that when I was younger. When you get older, you're like, oh, a lot of the people that, like, again, we used to make fun of each other all the time, right? When our, in our early 20s and then in your 20s. And I, I've mentioned this before, but a lot of times that was just us kind of figuring out a way, like, who, who was getting the best of the other guy at that time. And then you start talking to like normal people that way. And everybody's like, hey, this guy sucks. Like, he's an asshole. Like, he's just putting people down all the time. So it is a put down. I understand you not liking it. I understand her not liking because it's almost insulting her decision on this whole thing. First of all, gap-wise, I don't know why people are even saying this to you. Based on this picture alone, um, it, it seems a little awkward. It may be a weird way to like go, hey, more often than not in society, the way it works is the guy's going to be the butt of the joke. Like Whenever you watch any of the sitcoms now, it always lands on like the guy's the asshole. Every commercial now basically is like, <laughs> oh, the guy's guy. the fucking idiot. <laughs> like, you know, I mean, if we really wanted to get into this stuff, I just notice it all the time because if it were the other way, it'd be like, how come all of these shows keep doing this and this and this and like, I'm sick of the victim stuff. And it's like, yeah, but when it's happening to guys, nobody could ever say that, even though it's actually happening. So I think that there's some... It's like short guys. It's like, you could, you could, you're allowed to make fun of short guys. There's like no... Oh my God, that bagel boss guy? Come on, that's like a hate crime. And I'm not even short. I mean, I'm 5'10", so I'm not even in that bracket. But if I was like a 5'7", 5'8", guy, like I'd be like, what? The, why is nobody... Nobody cares. Like, everybody, it's just cool to make fun of me and talk about how short <laughs> I am. What happened to body positivity? Yeah, bald, short, skinny, all on the table. <laughs> Fair nobody's, game. Nobody's ever been like, hey, let's take it easy with the bald <laughs> slurs. <laughs> no one, because they're like, because the people with hair are like, we cannot lose those. 
They cannot list the game. It's the ender. It's the game ender. I think the last time I made fun of somebody's hair was like Gordon Hayward's haircut. I don't know which one it was of the 12, but he had one early on, and I asked him if he was going for the Dumb and Dumber look. And then I said, you know, after that, I was like, I'm just not going to make fun of any. I'm not allowed to. I'm not allowed to make fun of anybody's hair. So um, can I make fun of people who have fucking stupid first names that are misspelled? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I think I think I am allowed to do it's not that. Even your, it's not even their fault. Yeah. <laughs> right. But I'd be like, you shouldn't say that about Dwayne Wade. I'm like, yeah, <laughs> I think I'm allowed to. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I don't know what was going on there. So um, I... Uh, I, I like I get that you're annoyed by it, but I think Saruti's move is the right move. Kyle, I, f- I feel like we haven't given you enough bites of the apple here. What do you want? What do you want? I've to do dealt here? with this every single time I've had a girlfriend. I mean, literally, I'm always I'm always uh, punching up, so to speak, in relationships. Um, no, you're so a smooth operator. I've always mm. yeah, I've always dealt with this, so I've always been like, you know, you just pick a pick a quality about yourself that is good. Just be like, hey man, I'm just the funniest dude you've ever met. You ever made somebody laugh before? That's what I've like. I've done stuff like that. I mean, I told you that one girl that I did that's like a I guess she's technically a model because she gets paid to do stuff because she's pretty. But like, like, I mean, that was like, it was like aggressive <laughs> for then. It was, that was like, that was aggressive. I'd be in the barbershop like, yo, are you the white boy that's dating? What's her face? And I'd be like, I'm going to have to get out of this chair if I say yes. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> so like, but like, that's like the worst version of it. But otherwise, it's just like, dude, dude, if you're a, if you're a white guy. And the girlfriend is really attractive and not white. That's a whole good nother, luck, like, pal. Start doing that's push-ups. like a, a hidden level Start of challenges. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> see if you get a, see if you can find a, a, one of your buddies with a punching bag or something. I mean, that shit was aggressive. Um, but uh, that'd be funny. Be like, oh, what, what got you into jujitsu? Well, I started dating this smoking, <laughs> smoking hot Puerto Rican girl. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, yeah, but, uh, I, outside of that one, I, I had, I like, you know, I would tread carefully when people would talk to me about that. Cause it almost felt like, like I owed them money or something, but outside of that one, it was like, you know, just come up with like a funny, like a thing that like makes them feel stupid for saying it. Like, uh, and like you said, it just makes them awkward, but I would just, I would do something that's positive towards me. It's just like, dude, I'm just the funniest dude she's ever met. You know, whatever. I'm a great kid. Yeah, there's a reason. That's the thing. It's like, there's a reason like there, 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 I know ugly guys or uglier guys whatever that, <laughs> that date, rank them no no that that do that consistently get good looking women and it's because and there's various reasons for that so like it's they're doing something right is all i'll say like it's not like they're just some slouch you stumbled upon dating some 10 you know like there's they, they've either put in the work or they're funny or again there's a there's a huge a piece. bunch of different say reasons. That. yeah just yeah, make right, them uncomfortable you go. got a huge there's, piece what there's do you want? just a, there's a number of different <laughs> reasons like if you want to go down that road and ask the guy why and maybe he can really tell you but it's not like they just lucked into dating some hot chick i mean maybe maybe there are some cases but the vast majority there there is a reason why that guy is typically dating hotter women or out or consistently you know out kicking his coverage you could actually have a lot of fun with this based on totally. what you just said. You could get a pre-approved list of counters from your girlfriend who, you know, it sounds like this is going to be your wife here. And you just go like, let's go over some and just deadpan, like huge piece. <laughs> and the room, the room's going to be so weirded out. Do and that Woody you Harrelson. Deadpan, right, true detective like, season oh, one. <laughs> her sister, you know, her sister was playing in the park and I was randomly there with my dog and she fell off the jungle bars and I saved her. One arm. <laughs> one arm no foul no contact you know just rich hey i'm rich i have a boat yeah some people may not respect the boat thing that's happened in the past my dad my grandfather yeah. invented morse code you ever heard of it something like that yeah. <laughs> like just something great ever, ever heard of it then blink in morse code fuck you <laughs> so i think uh i think you have a lot of options here you should have but you know 
if if we helped you understand that this is more likely some weird now look let's also go back to the origin of the email you said you're both in like these advanced phd programs and you know what you're 29 so you're dealing with people that are probably either your age and have since high school only been on this path so probably aren't the greatest in conversations probably aren't the greatest at like just some of the social stuff maybe just haven't developed those as much because they're so good at the other things and they haven't gone through you know the social battles of being in your 20s post college and and figuring out how to shave off the rough edges you know there can <laughs> right. be some social awkwardness here that i don't think is completely shocking to experience in the academic world because, you know, and I, I envy the people that knew at a very early time, this is my path and this is what I'm going to do. But thinking back to my own experience with somebody who's kind of gone down that road, I wouldn't say that person was a first round draft pick for smoothness either. <laughs> so you could just be dealing with a very specific group to where her school is. And if it's school, school that I'm thinking of, it makes even more sense. Um, where these people just might be bad at talking to people. And that is your invitation to fuck with them right back. Uh, if it's, if it's bothering you that much, but I hope, I hope maybe more than anything, instead of good comebacks, we gave you better understanding of why it keeps happening. Could he, I want to homework. Could he just email us what school in Connecticut this is? I mean, I just want to know. I'm just curious. Uh, I assume he didn't say, but UConn, Yale, hopefully it's not Quinnipiac. Just interested. Yeah. Um, but at the end of the day, like you're getting all this shit. You guys are annoyed, but you know, you're, you're also kind of, you're also kind of secretly happy though. Like, yeah, it, it's, yes, it's annoying, but you'd Could be worse be dating. You'd rather be dating. Right. I mean, what do you, yeah, would you rather, you know what? I'll, yeah. I'd rather date a six because I'm just tired of all the, the ridicule I get. Yeah. Really what they're saying is nice job in a shitty way. So, you know, if you can get a little zinger out of it and also, you know, put that in your pocket, like, Hey, you just got a nice job from a stranger good for you yeah i always thought that'd be like an interesting late 90s early 2000s script where a guy's so heartbroken after being dumped by another gorgeous girl that his whole thing is like i'm only dating unattractive people so that when i break up i don't care <laughs> but i don't know where that plane would land yeah that might be one of those like could have been made in the 90s you're right probably not anymore yeah. That's like right. Shallow Hal. Can't make Shallow Hal in 2023, but... <laughs> yeah, but Shallow Hal is like the same, but the opposite of the concept yeah. of it all. So, yeah. yeah, this guy, I don't know, you could break up and date somebody ugly and it could stop happening. We could try that, right? Don't want to do yeah. that. All right. Good luck. Let us know how it goes. Uh, that is life advice. Thanks to Kyle. Thanks to Steve. As always, the Ryan Russillo podcast available on Ringer and Spotify. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom 
in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. <laughs> 